May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What a, an honor to be back at Memorial Church. I first arrived in these pews in 1998 as a freshman, and over four years, Monday through Saturday, there were morning prayers in Appleton Chapel to start the day. And on Sunday, these festival services lifted my soul and inspired my heart. The minister back then, the Reverend Professor Peter J. Gomes, used to tell a story about the royal chaplain in London who had been heard to remark, if there's one thing the Queen Mother and I can't stand, it's name droppers. <laughs> I, on the other hand, have no shame. I am proud to claim the late Peter Gomes as a dear friend, and I am particularly proud to say the same about his distinguished successor. Jonathan, I am honored to be here today. Thank you for the invitation but thank you most especially for the effect that you have in the lives of so many of us. Your words and your example are inspiring. In, in May, I'll be celebrating my 25th Harvard reunion. Much has changed for me in, in 25 years. And one of those changes is a need for regular checkups with my, my dermatologist. At my last visit, I asked her about this little mark um, that had appeared on my right cheek. She checked it and quickly diagnosed a wisdom mark, a euphemism for you're getting older. <laughs> Frankly, I would have preferred skin cancer. <laughs> there is no stopping that march of time Calling my little blemish a wisdom mark just reminded me that I'm, I'm not getting any younger. The doctor told me not to worry. She assured me my little mark was benign, but her words didn't entirely fix things. I was not completely relieved. It's tough to reassure grown-ups. We have lots of responsibilities, and those many responsibilities give us plenty to worry about. After graduation, will we find a good job? Friends assure us that things will work out, but they, they don't really know, do they? When we're sick and have to go to the hospital, who knows if we really will fully recover? When our political leaders stir up hatred and anger, we need to be concerned. In North Korea, in the Middle East, violent regimes rattle their sabers. And, uh, and God knows what's being cooked up in the White House. Our children are growing up in an unsteady and confusing world. We worry for them, we worry for ourselves, and yet, and yet there is someone we can trust when he tells us not to worry. There is someone we can believe when he says, do not be afraid.
Today's gospel text was used in many churches this year as part of the Easter Vigil. It's a text of considerable melodrama and even some humor. Notice how after the earthquake, after the stone is rolled back, the angel plops himself down and casually takes a seat. It's the only example in scripture I can think of where an angel pulls up a chair for a chat. Confident in victory, this angel blithely invites the women to come in and look around and see for themselves that Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. It's a dramatic scene and rightly so. Dramatic things have happened. The angel has dramatic news. God has acted. God has done something entirely new. The ground shakes. The angel appears in lightning-like clothes as white as snow. Regular life has been dramatically interrupted. The day-to-day worries have been temporarily erased. The women stare in silence and see that the tomb is empty. But the meaning comes later. The gospel message, the good news, the really important part here isn't the drama that demands fear and respect. The really important part is not the angel's appearance. It's not the guards quaking in their boots and fainting like dead men. The good news instead comes in the blessed assurance, be not afraid. Friends, no one gets into Harvard or earns tenure or accomplishes much of anything by being complacent. Most of us got where we are today by sweating the small stuff. Rest assured that your suave and self-assured neighbor, the envy of his friends, is probably like that proverbial swan in the river, you know, smooth above the surface but paddling like heck below. We are anxious, hardworking people. Telling us not to worry is a bit like telling a friend with the flu not to sniffle. Telling us to be not afraid is like asking a gambler to stop playing the slots. I am not going to stop worrying anytime soon. Anxiety is part of the human condition. Anxiety is addictive. We human beings thrive on anxiety. Consider the the multi-billion dollar news entertainment industry. Our newspapers, our television stations, our cable networks provide us with endless reports of violence and corruption and incompetence. For almost 25 years, I've been living and working in the Dorchester section of Boston. And in Dorchester, we know it's always the shootings that make the news. No one's interested in another successful day at our St. Mary's food pantry. No reporters herald the minor miracle that every morning throughout Dorchester, countless good people wake up in darkness, feed and dress and love on their kids before heading out to another day of hard work. But on the other hand, if it bleeds, it leads. Consuming miserable news day after day produces in readers and viewers 
anger, depression, apathy, and stress. Many develop the kind of learned hopelessness we would like to imagine could not exist in our optimistic America. Indeed, I know some for whom the news can be almost painful to consume. And yet so many of us devote precious time and attention to it every day, eyeballs trained to our phones and our computer screens. We like to worry. Thousands of years ago in India, the young prince Siddhartha, who was to become the Buddha, was shielded as a child from every worry in the world. He lived in luxury, secluded in opulence, where he witnessed neither death nor suffering. At 29, he ventured out with his charioteer guiding him. He escaped from his gilded palace and saw an old man for the first time. He came to understand that sorrow, loss, and death await us all. And this, for Buddhists, is the first noble truth. For the enlightened, accepting the truth that life is suffering awakens compassion. Most of us, however, are not enlightened. Instead of meditation, we practice denial. We hope that if we worry enough, we can keep bad things from happening. If we worry enough about this or that, we can drown our real anxieties. Daily, we, we hunch up our shoulders and worry away about a thousand and one things, many of which don't really affect us at all. Reading about suffering out there, we deafen the anxiety in here. Worrying about the little things distract us the way thumping pop music in the gym masks the grinding noise of the cardio machines. But then the Easter miracle. The earthquakes, the world falls silent. The stone rolls back, the angel appears like lightning. Mary and Mary Magdalene are truly terrified. And then into that silence, the angel says, be not afraid. Be not afraid. We hear this again and again from God. Be not afraid is what the angel Gabriel says to Mary when she announces that her life is about to be completely upended with an unplanned and unexplained pregnancy. Be not afraid is what the shepherds are told after Jesus is born. Friends, when was the last time anyone told you not to worry and you actually believed them? Maybe it was when you were a little child. Maybe when you crawled into bed with your mom or your dad after a, a bad dream. Maybe that childlike trust is part of the reason Jesus encourages us to change and be like little children. Maybe you and I, as children of God, can hear, be not afraid, and believe. I run a school in Dorchester for economically disadvantaged children and children who've been abused and neglected. It's a school that many here have been involved with, including your own ministers, who have taken my students into their hearts. 
My students are wonderful. But um, middle school students are not always easy to love. <laughs> uh, they can be sassy, like the little girl who ran up and hugged me and observed while hugging me, Mr. Finley, you've got some gray hair coming in here, and you're getting a little tubby, too. <laughs> I, uh, I smiled and assured the little darling that I was not so old and tired that I could not get to the faculty room to write her a detention. <laughs> My sassy students, however, can be courageous and they can be brave. For example, a few years ago, the donor whose company provides the uniforms the students wear every day came for a visit. It's wonderful that his big worldwide business has time to help our little school. And over lunch, I asked the students if anyone had any questions for this nice man who donated all of our uniforms, a sweet little girl raised her hand. Yes, dear, I said. What is your question? Sir, she asked. Was child labor used in making these clothes? <laughs> the same courage, the same courage I see in my students in Dorchester abides in your hearts and in your minds here in Cambridge. As Governor Patrick reminded us in his 2015 commencement address, the Harvard community has joined again and again in the social movements of our time. Occupy, Black Lives Matter, the movement to divest from fossil fuels, the young and the young at heart here among us have participated in these prophetic calls for greater justice. Now, Governor Patrick observed in his speech that many of us old folks poo-poo the kids in their protests, but thank God for them and their courage. Within their civil disobedience abides the gospel message, be not afraid. They are not ruled by fear. Their protests may sometimes be misguided and ineffectual, but their protests ring with truth. The brave people who have the courage to stand up to make us uncomfortable, that is where meaningful progress always begins. God's blessed assurance that we have nothing to fear does not mean that nothing will go wrong. Things go wrong all the time. What could be more wrong than the crucifixion of an innocent man, the cruel, sadistic murder of the very Son of God? Things go wrong. Jesus is not promising us that everything turns out for the best. We are not living in a Disney movie that provides a happy ending. Instead, what the angel means, what Jesus promises, what God assures is that whatever may happen, God has the power to strengthen us and to uphold us. Whatever we must face, we do not have to face it alone. Nothing we will ever encounter is stronger than God. If you want to believe that, but don't. If you want to believe that, but can't, hop on the red line and come visit us in Dorchester. Spend some time with my students. Or just stay here. 
Stay here in this splendid church and let it renew a right spirit within you. See the space downstairs creatively adapted to new needs. Sit with Janet McKenzie's new artwork. Come out, come out and meet Jesus resurrected and you will see, and you will see if you haven't already, that God gets the last word. God's love is triumphant. That is why God, and only God, can assure us, God's little children, to be not afraid. At the end of almost every church service, the priest or minister traditionally offers a final benediction. I will offer soon the one that begins, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding. My dear friend Kathy George introduced me years ago to one that includes the gracious line, be quick to love and make haste to be kind. There is, however, another rather edgier benediction that came to my mind in preparing this sermon. It's not a benediction we hear a lot, and I think when you hear it, you'll understand why. May you love God so much that you love nothing else too much. And may you fear God so much that you fear nothing else. The point of this benediction is that acknowledging God's power, putting all our trust in God's grace and love, liberates us. Respecting God's power overthrows that tyranny of anxiety that threatens our very souls. Terrified by the earthquake and by the angel, God calls us to attention, to witness resurrection and to know that we should not be afraid. Getting, uh, getting my little wisdom mark is really not a big deal. But I won't minimize for one second the challenges that we all have to face. Yet we do not need to worry quite so much. We do not have to be quite so anxious. We truly have nothing to fear. We are standing, you and I, on the promises of God. We are heirs of salvation. We are born in God's spirit. We are washed in God's blood. Friends, do not be afraid. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. <laughs>